It's time for Loud Pipes. The podcast that brings you the best conversations relating to motorcycles, the riding experience, and other motoring adventures. Here are your hosts for this episode, Rich Warfield, Rico Hogan, and John Maracle. Loud Pipes, episode 154. We have a conversation this evening with Mr. Brian Honeycutt. He's going to talk about riding tips, speed, and safety. We have a major update on our Loud Pipes Racing Initiative and a whole lot more. All right, no John or Rico this week. A little something different. Uh, just me and a glass of water here on a Sunday afternoon. And just a couple of updates I want to offer before we get into our major topic. And probably the ultimate teaser of the episode is we have a major update to Loud Pipes Racing, which involves a pretty substantial sponsorship. And I'm going to talk about that after the break. First reminder we want to put out there is the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge. If you intend on riding for Loud Pipes or any other podcast for that matter, uh, we need you to sign up by April 17th this year. And head over to MotorcyclePodcastersChallenge.com. There's a link at the top for the rules page, which we ask you to read. And then from that rules page, there is a link to sign up. We would also encourage you to reach out and, and contact other riders and podcasts that you're interested in having as part of the challenge. If the podcast host or co-host has questions about the challenge, have them reach out to mpcadmin at rdubstudios.com. And we'll put them in contact with the admins for that. So our major topic for this episode is a riding tip for speed and safety. So Mr. Brian Honeycutt is joining us again. He's been on the show in the past. And he is also running Loud Pipes Racing on his Ninja 300 this year for the 2019 season. And let's go ahead and get into the conversation. All right, sir. So, cool. Format wise, you have some tips for us. Now, do you, did you want to break it down into track and street, or what? What did you have in mind? I mean, they're kind of uh, one and the same, right? So, I mean, there's there's a couple things for advanced riders that nobody ever does that I think is probably the best thing you can do, which is trail breaking, right? So, okay. I, I don't know, if, Rich. I don't know if you ever trail break on the street. I do it all the time. Every corner I go into, I trail break. Everyone, right? Only just experimentally as I've been reading and watching videos. But I, as a practice, I'm more of a, a break than turn kind of person. Yeah, I mean, how many times have you gone into a corner a little hot and you're going, you're missing the apex by 10 feet and you're running wide? How many times does that happen? It happens to me all the time, right? Yeah. Well, this is where trail breaking fixes that. If you go, if you on the brakes, turn the bike in at turn in. Then once you get to the apex, you can adjust it, right? If you're too tight, apply throttle. You don't have to stand the bike up, just apply throttle. Uh, if you're too far out, just trail brake. It takes all the control back <laughs> into your hands, right? Like I, I see guys, you see MotoGP guys, stand the bike up, right? Yep. But here's the problem. Once you stand the bike up, now you've completely missed it. You were tight. Now you're way wide. Every time you see it, and they usually stand up the bike because someone's going on the inside. But right. when they do that, they run wide, right? Yep. So if you don't have to stand the bike up, you can just drag the brake, slow it down. It's like a, uh, you know, like a, a fulcrum. You know, if you're spinning a, a string, right? The faster it goes, the wider the arc. The slower it goes, the tighter it gets. So that's all you have to do is trail brake, right? It's, and it works especially good when you're on a uh, blind corner. Stay mm -hmm. a road you never know, which I'm on roads I don't know all the time, blind corners. So if you go in, you know, do your braking, turn the bike in on the brakes. Once you get to the apex, then you can either continue to brake or roll on the throttle. You know, I mean, right. it works so good, but people don't do it because they're afraid to tuck the front end. Well, you're not going to tuck the front end. We have, we have 
weight on the front. I mean, a couple things happen. It changes your steering, your geometry. Your steering geometry is tighter. So it's sharper, turns sharper to begin with. Correct. And your wheelbase is shorter, right? Yeah. So it turns tighter. And your front tire is squished out, right? Only when you get to the very edge of the tire do you have a problem, right? And if you watch every MotoGP, look at every one of those guys that go in the corner. You see them breaking all the way to the apex, even after the apex. Yeah, because the front the front end is down. Like you can see the yeah. nose is down all the way until they're on the gas. And here's another thing. Once the bike gets leaned over to a certain degrees, let's say 25 degrees, suspension doesn't matter. You're no longer using suspension because the suspension, it's not going up and down. It's sideways at this point. That's why Honda had that whole deal with the frame, mm. the engine and swing arm on the engine. That's what that was all about. So you had suspension while you was leaned over. Uh-huh. But if you know, a, a few years ago when Ducati had all those problems with the front end, that's what was happening to the bike. So the bike would be fine, get turned in, then they would come off the brakes and then tuck the front, right? Because the front end rebounds. And it rebounds once it once the transition is over. Once you start to stand the bike up, that's when it rebounds. Yep. Yep. So that's what all those guys were doing. Valentino and all those guys were losing the front end after the apex. After the braking. On, on the throttle. And the bike was rebounding, right? Huh. And that's what you got to watch on a long travel suspension like a supermoto. So you're going into a corner, you think you're going height because you think you're going in hot because you're not looking far enough at your exit point. You're not right. looking far enough down the road. So that speed rush is increased when you're looking close at it. So you're like, oh, I'm going in too hot. And then you, then you look down the track and you're like, oh. And then you just dump the front brake and then you tuck the front. And then you're down. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I'd always crash. And it's never, I've never tucked the front on brakes, only in rain, right? So on rain, trail braking is a bit different. Right, because you have limited traction. It's kind of like a dirt bike. I mean, a dirt bike, you can break the crap out of it on the front end, but at a certain lean angle, you lose you the front. Right. So, so how do you ease into that though? So, I think help people that haven't done it, they want to experiment. You know, how do you get from, okay, my braking is done, now I'm off the brakes and now I'm turning? How do you get from that to, okay, now I'm going to turn and then slowly release the braking right so i think the mistake people do are they go into a corner without brakes and then grab front brake you can do it but uh so what i would do is go into a corner you know a corner you know you're pretty familiar with start braking about the same time you normally would mm -hmm. but don't brake as hard and then where you would turn in just keep the brakes on and actually start to apply a little bit more pressure as you turn in and you'll see how the bike reacts. It act, it reacts really well. And if I think if you start if you do that every corner, like I say, I use trail braking on every corner. If I go through a corner and I'm not trail braking, I'm like, oh, I'm missing something here, right? <laughs> I'm missing out, man. <laughs> because it just gets into your mind. This is this is how it works, right? This works good. Like when I started road racing in 1999, 2000, mm -hmm. I didn't take a class or anything. I just went in and I trail braked because I'd be passing people on the brakes because I had a slow bike and the EX 500. So I'd be passing guys in the braking zone and just in way too deep and have no choice but to break into the corner, right? And it worked out well. But every time I seen pictures of myself, I was like, ooh, that's dangerous. It's like, ooh. <laughs> but now this is a thing. Everybody trail breaks. This separates the men from the boys, right? Now, isn't, um, I'm probably getting my schools wrong, but isn't the Yamaha rider school, isn't that one of the things they preach? Yeah, Ken Hill and those guys, that's all they talk about is trail yeah. brake, right? So that really is the thing that separates the men from the boys, is trail braking. And again, people think trail braking is the rear brake. To tell you the truth, I have never used a rear brake on a track, never once. I am just not that good, right? <laughs> I'm not that good. I don't use a clutch lever to downshift. I don't use a clutch lever to upshift. It's throttle and front brake. That's where the controls are for me because I, I'm just not that good, right? I I got two controls. That's, what, that's the ones I use, right? So, but I think trail braking is the most important thing. Again, waypoint viewing, all these things are good. But I think that's the big thing with advanced riders is lack of ability to trail brake. I mean, here's the thing. Say you come through a corner 
on a blind, like in California, there's a lot of granite wall, armco barrier driveway, mm-hmm. right? So you're coming through a corner, pretty hot. If you see a car back through a drive out of the driveway, well, what do you do? On right? the inside or the outside? It doesn't matter. What, oh. what do you do if a car is come back and out in front of you? Usually you going do? for more brake, probably. That's what I would do. I'd break out of it, right? And if you do that, if you brake at full lane angle, when you when you apply front brake, the bike stands up. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's another thing why you want a trail brake before because if you grab the front brake mid corner, the bike's going to stand up. But if you're braking and you turn in with the brakes on, you use enough counter steering to get the bike to turn in. But that's a technique to turn a bike going from left to right. If you see MotoGP guys on a quick chicane, mm-hmm. right? We have one at the go-kart track we race at in Stockton. And, I mean, I stab the front brake every time. You're full lane angle, your knees on the ground, foot pegs on the ground, and you stab the front brake, and the bike stands straight up. It's crazy. Like stands it up, bike, and then you can switch to the – you can transition the other way. Correct. It yeah. stands – and if you're not ready for it, it'll high-side you. <laughs> because what's happening, if you think about it, if you, if you think about the physics that's going involved, the front brake slows down. The whole bike is trying to overtake the front end on the high side, right? Yep. And everything's trying to go over the high side on the outside of the motorcycle, and that's what stands the bike up. Ah, makes sense. If you do it hard enough, you can actually stand the bike up and stop, right? Huh. But that's the physics of that, right? I mean, here's something to think about. If you're in a, say you're in a full left turn, as much lean angle as you possibly can, foot peg on the ground, knee on the ground, elbow on the ground, and you wanted to transition right, what input would you put on the handlebars? Well, yeah, you can't. <laughs> you, can't well, yeah, you, you can't put any more bar into it at that point. You, you do, though. You turn left. You turn left into it. You turn left into the corner, counter steering. Well, that's true. The, yeah, yeah. Still counter steering. Yeah. Yeah, but I wrap that through your mind. With a big set of ADV handlebars with a 600-pound motorcycle. And they're like, so I'm doing full left. Everything's on the ground. And I turn left. Well, this is crazy. To go right? Yeah. At this angle? Wait a minute. The bike flips over the center and almost high sides you. It's awesome. I mean, that's what counter steering's all about. But it's still, it works no matter what. I hear people talk about diff, slow speed, this speed. No, it's all speed. Counter steering is counter steering. That's what turns a motorcycle, right? I mean, as soon as you're off the... 30 mile an hour or whatever the transition no, even even at low speed it does i mean i mean if you're going slow enough it'll just want to fall over when you counter steer but that's how you turn a two-wheel vehicle is lean the bike yeah right i mean and to lean the bike that's what you're doing is counter steering so counter steering is like a big lever to leverage the bike over it doesn't steer the bike it, it leans the bike over and then the bike can turn so it's kind of so when you go into the corner you lean the bike over and then you let go of the handlebars. Then you let go of the pressure, and the bike turns into the corner, right? A, a lot of racers, yep. me including, I'd be like, I don't know about turning. I just get the bike leaned over, and then it turns in. Now, it turns in because you're letting up the pressure. The bike turns. The, ha- the handlebars actually turn into the corner, but the bike's leaned over. But yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember the first, first time I did any sort of counter steering, it just absolutely blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, a, a good way to do it is especially on a bike with big handlebars. Clip-ons are kind of hard to figure out what's going on. But if you've got big, long, like ADV-type handlebars, yep. take your left hand off and ride all day with just the right hand of the throttle. You'll see what's going on. I mean, but we're just, the way people are wired, you just don't think of it until it's something like that's brought into your head. So, so back to the practice then, would you recommend... Maybe recommend is not the right word, but like you said, pick a corner that you're very familiar with, break into the corner, but then just like hold that a little bit less than you normally would just to get comfortable. Is that a good transition? Strategy? Yeah. So, so break, let's say break three quarters of what you normally would, but keep hold the it. brakes, keep the brakes on and turn it into the corner. And then, just, and maybe even a l- slight pressure as you turn in, as you near the apex, yep. you'll see what's going on. And if you continue to do that, I mean, that's a really good safe practice. But another thing is go into the brakes. How do people go to the brakes? Most people go wrong, right? So the way the way you go to brakes is if I had a half of an orange and I wanted to get juice out of it, I wouldn't just grab the thing and squeeze it as hard as I could, right? I'd get juice everywhere. 
right? <laughs> so what I do is I put it over a cup and start squeezing it to the juices coming out. And then at the end, I would just squeeze it for all I'm worried. That's exactly how you go on the brakes, right? That, that first thing is taking up all the play, taking up the suspension dive, taking up all that. And then once you have all that, the front end planted, everything out of it, then you can squeeze as hard as you want, right? Right up till the end of your traction. Well, I mean, I don't... With ABS, and if you're on a sport bike, there is no end of your traction, right? So, well, I mean, I, if you're on a bike that has that, I just right, wanted to right. point that out, right? Because both of mine have neither. <laughs> well, I mean, but your R6, if you brake hard enough on that bike, the back wheel, wheel will come in the air, right? Right, right. That's how, that's how I always know I was braking hard enough. The back wheel's up, right? I had EX500 stock brakes, and they're like, oh, you need Brembo's and this. And I was like, I don't know why I'm carrying the rear wheel into the turn, so I don't know how that's going to help. Yeah, I don't see how more braking's going to help me when the rear wheel's off the ground. Right, it's a feel thing, and I understand feel, but... Stock Japanese bikes, a lot of them are just rock hard, you know, no feel, but they work good. Yeah, I've not braked the bike that hard yet to get the, I've had the rear end lighten up a little bit, but I haven't had the wheel off the ground. Oh, you should try it. Baby steps. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> Maybe I should get the wheels back on it first. That'd be a good step. Yeah, that class working with Coach Kanakai, that braking drill, they're mm-hmm. a brand new guy rear wheel in the air and you're like whoa front wheel locked up and you're like wow pretty wild so nice so what but i mean go ahead i said that's how i used to see if a bike if the uh steer if the geometry is right so a standard sport bike they're a little low in the back and a little high in the front yeah so i would raise the back as high as i could then start dropping the front so I, w- I want as much ground clearance as possible, so I don't want to drop the front straight away. So I bring the back up as high as I can, and then the front. And then I go out to the parking lot and start slamming on the front brakes. And when it starts carrying the back wheel in the air, we know, we got, we know we're there, right? That's the balance point. Nice. Right. Yeah, I noticed that with mine just in pictures. Like you can, It's visible. You can see the front end is higher. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to, yeah. when I reset the forks here in the next week or two, put it down just a skosh, even it out. Yeah, like I say, I would probably start, if there's any adjustment at all on the rear shock as far as height, and I'm pretty sure on that bike there's not, but I would get it as high as I could there. Right? You'd ha- yeah, you'd have to shim it. I know you can shim it. Yeah, you can also, uh, you, you ever seen those adjustable dog bones for lowering links, they call them? Mm-hmm. If you take those and cut cut that uh, that nut that's left-handed threaded on one side, right-handed thread on the other, if you cut that thing down, you can actually make the linkage shorter. And that'll, and raise that'll, it up. that'll raise the back end up. So that's what I got on my 300. So I've got a GSXR 750 shock, which made it taller already. But then I was running uh, aftermarket rear sets, and I was too cramped on the bike. So I went back to the stock rear sets for more comfortability, but then I was dragging. So I got a pair of those, cut them all down, and got that bike up, lifted as high as the rear swing arm could possibly go. Like it Mechanically, it bottoms out, right? And that's where it's at. And then I adjusted the front. The front's down a little bit, but I'm still able to use uh, stock rear sets and be a little bit more comfortable on the bike. What are you using for front forks? Are those stock, or did you put a cartridge in it? Or well, they're stock and stock, and they've got emulators with progressive rate springs, and then they're shimmed way out. And then it's got a preload adjuster on it. Nice, nice. They were good. I mean, I'm not much of a suspension guy. People talk about feel. It doesn't bother me. Like I, I could be on the worst suspended bike in the world. It just, need, it just needs to be set up as far as ride height, front and back, right? Well, you, you need to just be able to feel what it's doing and not bottoming out, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I've rode on suspension that's bottomed out. It's not that big of a deal, but uh, I mean, everybody's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I'm all about tires. Tires are where the thing is. I mean, that's that's what contacts the road, so that's where it's all at. And I used to not be a big brake guy until on the 300 two years ago out at Finiana. I was doing 110 on the back straightaway, and there's a kink back there. Mm-hmm. It's out of brakes. The brakes clear to the handlebars, like out of control. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So the caliper is a two-piston caliper, and one of the pistons were seized up. So I put a put a front caliper off a GSXR 750, and it's pretty good now so it's really overkill for the cart track but really good on the big tracks still a single rotor in the front 
Yeah, it's single, but it's four piston caliper. Yeah, and it's a big rotor too. Mm. Right, it's pretty good size. I don't know a size of two ten or something. It's not. It's not that big. It's not as big as what was on the uh, supermoto bike. Nice. The supermoto bike was so big you could barely get the caliper off the rotor. Right, you almost had to take the rotor off the wheel. Oh man! You ever seen those MotoGP guys change out calipers? In the rate, only in the pits. I haven't seen them do it. On the pits, they've got quick releases on the hose on the lines, and the wheel has to come up, and the and the rotor has to come off. The caliper is too big to get over that caliper, over the rotor. You know what I mean? Oh, no kidding! Yeah, take check it out. They've got quick disconnect, and you'll see them sitting there with the calipers on the wheel, and they'll take it over to the bench and pull the rotor off. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, because yeah, it I, wouldn't clear. You're right. It would be inset the inside the wheel. Yeah, there's there's no clearance at all, right? So you can't get it up against the wheel. So that's funny. I mean, those rotors, I think they change them every session. They're carbon fiber. It's carbon, carbon, pretty yeah. wild. All right. Well, let me not steer you off the tips because I could get yeah. geeky on the sure. bikes all day. <laughs> See, I, I study that a lot, even though I haven't put it into practice yet, but the whole suspension theory and setup and, you know, what it's doing and how to change it based on what you're feeling and what you're seeing. More importantly, like you said, what you're seeing the, on the tires. You know, look well, at how the tires are wearing and then make adjustments from there. And again, here's the thing. Uh, in in our level of riding, it's probably... Probably doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> 80% rider, 20% bike, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't much matter at our level. Yeah. So I missed the apex by nine feet. It's not really going to matter. <laughs> yeah, the bike, the bike didn't do that. The rider did that. <laughs> I just blew it. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's the thing. Like, you know, talking about giving writer tip, tips, there's so many things, right? I mean, that's that's why an uh, organized school that covers everything at a reasonable rate yep. works. You know, I used to, when I worked for a uh, super bike coach, you'd see people that, like, had no business even riding a motorcycle, ride from San Francisco over there. And then by day three, man, they were really good riders. And you're like, that's crazy. It's just, you, you see the level there, but it's, it's the repetitive nature of doing it over and over again, doing it at the peer group, you know, and then with having that little go-kart track, you have the ability to stop them right there on the site and say, Hey dude, you screw that up. Do it again. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't do this again, you know, do push-ups or whatever. So, and that's the thing on a track track day, they're not worried about instruction. They're worried about safety, right? Exactly. So, I mean, the thought of somebody stopping on a track is ridiculous, right? Like, it's not happening. But on that little go-kart track, stop. Pull your bike over. Do this. Do that, right? So, I mean, just watching that, and that's that's the way you get good, is doing it over and over again with peers and having instruction. And on that little go-kart track, the repeating frequency was so quick, right? Like, my lap times over there are 22 seconds on that track. (laughs) So, if you screwed up the corner, you don't have to wait a minute 30 or two minutes to wait for your next time you come around that corner. And then by the time you get there, you're like, Oh yeah, I was supposed to do that. Oh, I forgot. Right. Oh wait, I catch it again. And then you got 10 laps, right? With this, you've got hundreds of laps and it's right there. Done, done. You know, very nice. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that really helps. If you have something like that near you, I mean, it'll do so, so much for your riding. Like me, I, you know, I, I raced road racing. I was, uh, you know, on the, uh, you know, I, I was expert and did all the thing, but I had no instruction, right? So when I started getting back into it and got instruction, I was like, oh, that's what's going on. I just never thought about it. I just rode, right? You people were asked, doing it, but you just didn't me, know what it was. How hard did, when, when do you grab the brakes? At that braking marker, how hard do you grab it? Just full on as hard as I can. No, I was I was pulling it progressive, but it sure, it sure felt like I was just pulling it as hard as I could straight away, right? So. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. If you're not in an instructing type environment, you're just going to miss a lot of things. You know, it's kind of like, like I teach some people that have never rode a motorcycle, right? Oh, you drive a manual shift car. It's just like that. Well, it's not like that, right? But in my head, it's just like (laughs) the big fuel truck I drive with 18 speeds, a clutch. It's got a clutch and a throttle, just like a motorcycle. They're the same. It's just like that, right? (laughs) But this is me. This is how my brain's working. So. I t- tell somebody how to ride a motorcycle. I, I'm the worst coach. I'm the worst teacher, right? How, how do you use the clutch? 
oh, I just let the clutch out and then apply throttle and then kill it. I'm like, we're not that quick. And then when do I use the clutch to shift? Never. Why would you use a clutch to ship? Yeah, why would you do that? Just blip the throttle and go. No, not like that. And then here's another thing. In road racing, think about this. I don't know if you have or you've practiced this. Uh, you're braking as hard as you can on the front brake, pulling the lever as hard as you can, and you're rev matching, right? This this is super simple, basic thing for me, right? But maybe for somebody that's never done it, the whole concept is just weird. So you're pulling a lever and blipping a throttle with the same hand. Yep. Yeah, that, that's, that's tough. Break is how you get in. Boom, dong, dong, dong. Turn it in, right? And they're like, at what RPMs? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a tack on the bike, right? Like, <laughs> I have the super motor bike. They're like, when do you shift? When it quits making power. <laughs> when I stop picking up speed. Not making power, it's time to shift, right? Or when I feel like it, right? So, I mean, that's the thing, trying to teach some guy, you know, the simple skill of rev matching. I mean, with, now with, with quick shifters and all that, like BMW, that all automatic blip stuff, yeah. Great, slipper clutches and all that, but it makes you sloppy, right? Like, people are like, use a slipper clutch. I don't know. I, I don't use it. I don't pull the lever. I don't, I don't just go through the gearbox and then dump the clutch that I would never do that. That's ridiculous. Right. But people do that. Right. Six gear, pull the clutch, just hammer it down to the first hit, hit the apex and just dump the clutch. And you're like, Whoa, right. People ride this way. Really? Not me. Dude, watch, watch motocross guys. You were at motocross this weekend. Watch yeah. them. Watch those guys. Those guys come off a jump, right? You'll see them downshifting in the air with the clutch in, even though they, they all have recluses, but they have the clutch in, and you'll see them like brake slide the back end in, and at the apex, just hammer the throttle and dump the clutch, right? So <laughs> they're pre-selecting their gear for that apex. The, the Boston brothers used to do it. They're dirt track uh, motocross guys. But those guys, I'd see it all the time. They're into the braking zone, with the th- with the throttle off, clutch in and just downshifting, and then go into the apex, and then just like you see him roll on the throttle and release the clutch. You're like, whoa! I would never do that. I'd have the wrong gear. I'd go over the handlebars or bog the motor. But so what? What does the slipper clutch do then? It just if you're in too low of a gear, it just slips until it can match up the RPM. Yeah. So you've it's like just a. Uh, like a switch on the spring load or like how, I'm trying to figure out how they do that mechanically. Oh, how it works? Yeah. So the clutch basket and the hub, you familiar with those, how those guys work together? Yeah. Okay. So the clutch basket has ramps on it. Right. And the hub has ramps, conversely matching ramps on it. So when, it, when the engine is pushing the clutch, right, those, those ramps, the back side of it, they're like triangles they're blunt and they, they go up against each other and they lock in, right? right? When it's the other way, when the clutch, the hub is spinning from the back wheel and it's trying to turn that, uh, clutch basket, right? right? Those ramps pull the pressure plate out. So it goes, it just jumps over it. Oh, cause it has, okay. I see what yeah, you're saying. Right? Yep. So it just, it just pulls the pressure plate out and jumps over it. Got it. That seems so, like that would be a pretty high wear item though. <laughs> for doing that not really it's no. kind of it's the recluse clutch have you messed with the recluse no i've yeah, seen pictures clutch. of them and kind of how they're laid out but i've not used i've not messed with one so they kind of work the same way right but uh yeah so that the slipper clutch it's the big the big thing nowadays i've never rode a motorcycle to where i would ever need it right but i hear i hear guys using them all the time when i'm racing and i'm like Ew, sounds crazy to me yeah, I didn't. I couldn't catch the motocross guys doing that. We were on the the side of the stadium where, when they were in the air the most, the mm-hmm. the shifter was on the other side of the bike, right? So I couldn't see it. But I did see them playing with the braking and the throttle a lot in the air to, sure, to right. even the bike Get out. The that front. was pretty cool to see in person. Yeah, and you also notice they're they're full throttle on the rev limiter when they hit the ground. And the reason that is is if you think about it, if you land, you know. With no power, you kind of go over the handlebars. And then once the suspension rebounds, then it makes it worse. If you land with power, the thing will hit the back and just drive out of the landing. Yeah. So. That was pretty cool to see in person. That was my first time going to a a live event. Yeah. 
Yep, it's crazy stuff. And we didn't even stay for the mains. The kids were done after the oh, really? the LCQs. We had to leave. Yeah did you did you see anybody crash? Right in the beginning, yeah. The first, yeah. very first two fifty heat. One guy went out on a spine board. Yeah, especially the two fifties. If you see those guys pick the bikes up, nobody's starting motorcycles anymore. They've all got e starts, but they don't die because they have a recluse clutch, right? Right, it just stays running. And that's why those two fifties started because you had a hundred pound guy trying to kickstart a two fifty F hot that you know doesn't know those things are kind of a bear to start four fifty a four fifty without a hot start button or anything they're a little tricky to start but so now everybody's going to electric or electronic clutch so or electronic starter sorry cool so trail braking is where it's at so what do you what do you look at next then or is that the main tip <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the number one, right? If you're in the area of trail braking, you've already got your waypoint viewing, which in waypoint viewing, when you go out on the straightaway, you're looking at your braking zone. Before you get to the braking zone, you're looking at the apex. Before you get to the apex, you're looking at the exit. Before you get to the exit, you're looking at the next corner, right? Got it. So those those things, and when I say looking at it, you're actually turning the your head and looking, looking at it. physically looking at it because when when you panic, when people panic, their eyes go center, right? Mm. So if your head's pointing where it needs to be pointing, if something happens, your eyes aren't going to go center. That's the thing. You see people, I've seen so many people uh, target fixate and hit a granite wall or hit whatever. Their head, they never turn their head. They're looking straight ahead. They're using their eyes to look through the corner. And then they panic and they're looking straight at an arm cold barrier or a granite wall and there's where they go, right? So if you turn your head, where you want to go to your next point, the bike will follow, right? Look where you want to go. Well, I mean, it's also moving your head in that direction, right? So look to the apex. And then once you're coming towards the apex, look to the exit. And once you're coming to the exit, look down the straightaway. Look at the next corner. It's just picking out waypoints where to do this stuff at, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's so many tips to learn, but I think the biggest one is trail breaking, right? I think if everybody worked on trail breaking i think there'd be a lot fewer accidents yeah, especially in a panic situation like you said it's much more controlled at that point you just you're keeping the suspension loaded you're keeping the bike you know in the brakes and if you need more there's more there you're not going from zero to braking right and again how many people have gone into a corner and missed the apex everybody right how many still do it everybody still does it the way you control it is not leaning the bike in more or standing the bike up, right? Applying, applying some throttle or applying some brake. It's real simple. I mean, you've you've got too tight to an apex, right? And then you stand the bike up. By the time you stand the bike up, you've gone too far the other way. Yeah. Had had you just applied throttle, you would have went right around. Would have went right around, and it would have been no big deal. And I'm not talking whack the throttle wide open on a 200 horsepower R1. I'm talking about just apply a little, a little throttle to yeah. swing it out. Right. It's funny. I did that um, the weekend I rented that FC in San Diego. Right. So I took it up to that Palomar mountain and that's, I did just that very thing because I wasn't used to the bike, like how quick it would turn in. Right. I just found myself practically running off the road in all of all the the corners. So just like you said, I rolled in, it's like, Oh, well I can either stand up and now I may run wide because I don't know the road or just give a little more, a little more throttle. Yeah. And out you go. I think those two exercises, if we do every day while we ride a motorcycle, they'll become second nature. And then this is this will be no big deal, right? And then at the same time, if a car cuts in front of you, it's no big deal. We turn on the brakes. This isn't a big deal, right? Yeah. If just get away from that panic that that I need to brake right, or that, or turn. Realize you can brake and turn. Yeah, I mean we should be. I mean the the the. The crazy thing is when you go to these MSF or whoever, I, I understand why they're teaching it. They're teaching it in a parking lot how to ride a motorcycle in a parking lot. I get it. But how many people have been killed at parking lot speeds? I'm sure there have been, but not that many, right? It happens at high speed, right? Mm-hmm. All that stuff they teach pretty much just goes out the window. You can just throw it away. It doesn't even matter anymore. Like, so if you're, you have to, so you're at a lean angle, you stand the bike up and brake. 
that's nonsense. You've hit something. You go over the guardrails. Right. (laughs) So I'm going to break as I'm hitting the guardrail or hitting a car. This makes no sense. Like, why not break now? Right. Well, can it be done? Well, let's figure it out. All right. Let's, because what they're teaching kills people. I know, I know they're doing what they need to do and it's good, I guess, but. So you think think it's too conservative then? They're not aggressive enough with well, I, what really happens on the road. Well, I think they're starting with very beginning motorcycle riders. Here's right. a clutch. Here's a brake. Here's a shifter. Yeah. Let's after maneuver that, this around. After the that happens, you've been riding for a year. You need to take more education. And they'll tell you that, but nobody does. Right? Mm-hmm. So you'll meet guys that have been riding for 20 years that say, I don't use my front brake. You'll flip over the handlebars. Well, that's look at your bike. Look at the giant brakes on the front. Look at that little thing on the back. Yeah. Well, try to stop with just the rear brake. See how long that takes you. If you can stop it at all. Right. I mean, I mean, the idea that they still put rear brakes on a motorcycle to me is crazy. I mean, it's just, they don't do, they don't do, I shouldn't say they don't do anything. Of course they do, or they wouldn't put them there. But I mean, I think the, the whole linked brakes, that's where it's at, right? Yeah, that's pretty like my Like my BMW. My rear brake application is twice as much as my front brakes. I didn't do it. I've never touched that lever. Never once, right? It's mm-hmm. the bike, right? Yeah. I The only time I really use it a lot is just around town, like real slow speed. And you're just kind of like toddling around town. we we'll stop a lot with the rear brake. But just, you know, always in low speed. Yeah. But that's a big heavy cruiser too, so it's a different different animal. Yeah, I, yeah. It's funny how I switch though. Like on the R6, I barely touch it. <laughs> I don't even. Lever might as well not be there. Oh, really? Yeah, that's good. I mean, a, a rear brake. I've never seen a rear brake. I'm sure it's happened, saved somebody, but I've I've seen it hurt people. I've seen it really people get really messed up with the rear brake. You know, locking up the rear. You know, the back end tries to pass the front, and then you high side like. Yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy. Or your training kicks in and you ride it out and then you low side slide it. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people get hurt using rear brake, right? Especially when it's wet. I mean, I understand if you go off the road in the grass, you probably just want, don't want to grab a handful of front brake. But at the same time, you probably want to, want to grab a bunch of rear brake either. So, Right. Very nice. I was trying to think, where do we, what do you look at from there? Again, I would get more training. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? Like fatigue on the motorcycle. You ever had arm pump on a motorcycle? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I used to get a lot of arm pump on a motorcycle. If you take your hands and put them on top of the levers, you're not gripping the handlebars anymore, and your arm pump will go away. It's caused from gripping the handlebars too tight. I think I've had that. It's kind of Well, maybe I'll describe it, and then you can tell me. It's more like your, your forearms are just tight and worn right. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just like you said, it always happened just from, I don't know, I guess riding over my head or whatever, but not being comfortable on the bike and just gripping the hell out of it. Right. And if you do that, like let go of the handlebars, put your thing off four fingers over your levers. Yep. And then your legs will start to hurt. And that's how you're supposed to ride. It should be a leg thing. Right? Like You should be completely free. Your hands should be free to do everything. All right. Yeah, I practice that a lot because I I, re- I read that in quite a few different outlets that, especially with a sport bike, you're riding with your legs. Right. I mean, I can't with my cruiser. I don't think. Maybe you could, but but I definitely you can if you're in good, if you're in good shape. You can. <laughs> it's that stirrup position, you know. It's just not comfortable with. And if you are stand up, you're stand up in line with the head tube. Yeah. <laughs> I. Well, that, yeah, I've not really tried to stand up on that bike. It's I don't think it would work. Maybe if I had longer bars, right, farther right. forward or something. But, but yeah, I work on that a lot on the sport bike. Is using my legs, loosening up my grip on the bars. You know, just using your, just applying inputs, but not holding onto the bars. I work on that a lot. Right. Yeah, and then there's you know body positioning. It's it's a thing. It's not. It's an advanced thing, but. Uh, it's it definitely works. I mean, if you're at that point, right, it helps carry less lean angle, yeah. same speed through a corner if you get your, you know, center of gravity down. Yeah, I started 
just with what your first tip was, just, just get your cheek off the seat and start there. Yeah. Just get in that direction and put your head towards the mirror or where the mirror would be if you've taken it off. Yeah, that's a pretty good thing. And, and again, you should do this before you even go to the brakes, right? So this happens before the braking zone. Right? So you need to get get really comfortable. If you do get into a position that you're able to you know, go on the brakes hard and lock yourself in that position without going forward, right? Oh, so, so you you would do position then braking? Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, okay, I mean, think about this. I'm breaking, 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 turn in, and then I'm going to throw 200 pounds to the inside? Uh, I don't think so, right? Well, I was just I thinking would, it's somewhere in that, so I'm... No, I'd do it before. Do it before. Watch MotoGP. Those guys are body positioning are set before they go to the brakes. Yeah. So they got their knee, they put, put their ass off going down the straightaway, they got their elbow about ready to pop out, and then yeah. they pop out on the brakes. They're already set up, right? Yeah, because yep, you're the, right. The idea of in that transition, moving weights around the motorcycle is insane. But this is what people do. I mean, people go, they turn the bike in and then take all their body weight and move <laughs> and it. fall off the bike. <laughs> and then load the suspension of the tires. And right? <laughs> This is nuts, right? I mean, <laughs> you better not even done it. But that's, that's where you set up. You set up before the brakes. Yeah. Nice get all that stuff set up. I mean, there's chance there's times where you can't like transition from right to left. I get it, but very nice. Now yeah. I know John does a little body positioning with a spider body position to help a thousand pound three wheeled vehicle. It does. Oh, cool. It makes him feel better. I think. Well, I'm not sure if you, if I talked about it or I'll go back to it, but when I took the class and they had me do, you know, it was a basic class on Spider, and the guy made me. There's two of us in the class that had experience, and you know, one of those, you know, parking lot like you're talking about, and then it was right. like, all right, so here's an obstacle. You know, we're going to take the last second to maneuver. You know, that kind of right. instruction, and I took off from a dead stop, and he was hoping me or the other guy was going to do it, and it just the as you talk about the repetitiveness of doing right. it and come second nature when he did i just came second nature and instincts just took over and i mean it just amazing how well handled you know yeah. it didn't even the tracks the, the bike kicked in with traction control and everything else and it i i didn't know much it did it, it just did it so and then as far as you're talking about getting on road and that's what's going to happen Next week at this point, I actually have a, a on-road class I'm taking. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, there's a guy here um, called Motormark One in North Carolina. He was a former state highway patrol instructor and did stuff with the military, instructing motorcycle riders and stuff. So they actually go out. It's a two-day course, and you go out riding. They follow behind you, like, understand and kind of coach you. Right, right. So it'd be interesting to see what I learned and what I have been really screwed up on or if I'm, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Do they use intercoms with you when they're doing that? So, yeah, I think they're going to use, and, and I, and maybe you know this, but they used, um, in the class, the guy had, the guy that did the instruction had like a CB attached to his helmet, uh-huh. like a, like a, just like a helmet mount unit. And then everybody uh-huh. else had, um, you know, Midland walkie talkies. Okay. So to my, to, I think they're going to do is have, give us the walkie talkies and we can plug our earbuds into them. We can't communicate with them, them right. but we want to have them through the audio. Right. Yeah. I found we're using uh, like a Cena with the person I'm instructing and then use a camera and then you're like, yeah. Hey, uh, you need to move to the, all the way out to the side, side of the track. Oh, I already am. Okay. And then you go back into the pits and you're like, Look at this. Look how far away you are. Oh, it didn't even seem like that. Yeah. There's the yeah, problem. That's so I, think, the, I think that's really good is having video of it and audio so you can link it up and be like, here's where I told you this, and this is what it looks like. Right. Yeah, so what they actually did is the guy had an iPad, and he would go out there and he'd videotape, and then like after the session, go back in the room, fire up everybody's video, 
and kind of talk about stuff and okay, here's what we're doing. Here's this. So kind of critique and talking about that new rider and seeing new people come in. There's um, a guy that was more experienced, the same as much as me riding. Well, he was a more on two wheels, um, but he brought his daughter that was like 18. Uh-huh. She's never ridden. And it was really cool to see the day progress of her never riding to the end of the day and how much right. she grew. And it was really cool and it was exciting just to sit there and watch her just grasp it. Right. You know, doing the weaves through cones. I mean, that was just like, I don't know. I guess I was not, you know, thinking, okay, this is going to be, you know, tough on the spur, but I was just like, oh, flip, flip, flip. And it's like, oh. <laughs> I guess I went through that a little fast. Right. You ever lift a front wheel? So I, <laughs> I have. I have. Yeah. Um, the second night I owned it, I was coming through my roundabout to my house, and it came up about a foot. Mm. I've never been able to, to do it again. I've kind of tried, but not to the full extent that I think it could do. Right. <laughs> Um, that's funny. Yeah, I've rode rode a couple of those Can Ams. Then I rode uh, what's the car? The, Polaris, the slingshot. The slingshot. So Mike Corbin down in uh, oh here in California, the guy that builds the seats, he had one of those. So I took it out for a spin, and it wouldn't it wouldn't lift an inside wheel, or it just pushed. It just pushed really hard. So. Yeah, because that's got a GM four banger in the front. Yeah, it's tra- trans- transverse mounted. <laughs> yeah, just pushed through a corner. And then I got pulled over by a local cop. And he's like, "Yeah, helmets? Oh, why? This is not a car. This is a motorcycle. Really? Looks like a car. <laughs> Feels like a car. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a Miata to me. Guess it's not. I mean, you may should just go buy a Miata if you want to go buy that thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's what I told the wife. Is she ever wanted one? I said, I go buy your Miata instead. Yeah, he builds these fiberglass uh, saddle. I don't know. It looks like a saddlebag on the covers the back wheel. It actually looks good when they're on there. But if you go to their website, you'll see them. He bought that to to build those bags. But they're fiberglass and they're like uh, like beetle wings that come up to get access. But it covers that whole back wheel assembly and it makes it look better. Mm, that's cool. But I know I ran into the guy, and well, we've seen him here, where they've actually done twin turbos on that thing to put out 300 horsepower. Yikes! Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's so. Would you recommend? I was thinking about this earlier. Would you recommend doing like parking lot drills at all? That low speed stuff. I mean, circles. Yeah, I, you know, braking maneuvers. Yeah, I started doing that in the GS. Every time I leave the driveway, I do. You know get leaned over enough to where I'm almost dragging the uh, engine guard. So, yeah, I mean, I think all skills are good. I mean, you can come into a parking lot and look like a badass doing crazy stuff. It's not going to help you on the road, but I think all bike control is good. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's not necessary, but you do look cool when you pull into a parking lot and you take two parking spots and you do a big U-turn and pull in so you're faced out, right? Like, and then you see other guys like walking their bikes around or you see guys can make a U-turn on a road and you're like, what is wrong with It's like, there? turn, turn, <laughs> turn your head, and put the bars to the locks and turn. I mean, <laughs> they're like, I can't do it on my bike. And I'm like, jump oh. on that 600 pound GS and try it. My bike's too long, man. No, no you don't understand. It's a chopper. Going to back something that you said, you left super coach. Uh, well, I just moved down towards Santa Cruz. So I'm like, the, 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 I'm too far away, right? So okay. I mean, we're all on good terms and all, but I'm just, I'm just not uh, doing what I was doing up there. Okay. So and I'm racing. What's that? So you moved? I did. I moved down to down towards Santa Cruz and uh, Los Gatos. Okay. Yep. But you're still racing in this, at the same tracks, though, right? Well, there. This year, it's just Stockton and Dixon with that. Uh, the 300? Yeah. So I sold the 450. The 300's for sale. And if somebody buys it, they buy it, then I quit racing. But uh, <laughs> that's where it's at. I mean, I'm kind of over the whole racing thing. It's it's fun, but you get out there and you're like, oh, do this again. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at your tires and I'm like, and I've had these tires on for two years. 
they're wasted. They're gone. No wonder it crashed the last time I was out. So that's what's going on now. And I'm looking at the tires. I'm like, I should flip it, flip it right to left. Hang on. And then there's a guy that races a KTM and he's got some takeoffs. So I'm buying some takeoffs from him. <laughs> be pretty, it'd be pretty cool if I buy his takeoff tires and go out and beat him. And beat him. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you need to do. It's the same guy the last time I was at that race in Atwater. He's a, like a 25 year old guy on a KTM 390, pretty cocky. And I was like, Hey, how do you think you'll do? I'm going to win. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I go out and qualify. He's like, I got I qualified on the pole. And I was like, I don't think so. I was behind you. I sandbagged you. I waited until you went out. And then I just rode with you and then gave you a gap and then seen if I could close the gap. And I did it on every other lap. Hmm. So I think I got you. And he's like, you didn't pass me. Yeah, I don't have to pass you. Watch qualifying. I, qual- I out-qualified him by like half a second. So pretty good. And then, then in the race, he's like, so how's this going to go? And I was like, if I get out, I'll just check out. And if I don't get out, I'm going to line you up and then I'll figure a place where I can beat you. And I, it's not going to be on the straightaway with power because, you know, you're 110 pounds. You've got more horsepower than me. I'm you know, a couple hundred pounds on this little bike. So right, it's, right. Prob- it's probably going to be in the corners and I'm going to stand you up. And he's like, I don't stand up. And I was like, well, then it's going to be a good crash. So, <laughs> But as it was, he was really late laid onto the brakes into the a really high speed corner. Yeah. Like kept watching him every time and I got a pretty good run on him. He's still pulling away, but he went late on the brakes. I just went on the outside. And as soon as I pulled alongside him, I just braked as hard as I could and trail braked all the way in. Cut it, you know, cut the line as tight as I could and then I never seen him. That was on the last lap. So <laughs> it's fun. It's up on it's up on YouTube. It looks good. On your but, channel? Yeah, I'm gonna yes. go look for it. Nice. Water KTM. This the same same day. I had a video. I had a, one of the sparking knee pucks, and I put the camera on the swing arm so you can see all the sparks off the knee puck. It's pretty cool. Very nice. Yeah, I can't wait. So the the one I'm shooting for here is the I think it's April 5th. Yeah. At uh, Carolina Motorsports Park. So I'm I'm planning to do that one with the uh, N2 Track Days as the company. Uh huh. So I, I reached out to them. We're going to get one of their guys on the show. Cool. So I'll get, you know, get some information from them and see what we can get out of them before we get down there. Yeah. I think if I could give you any advice on your first track day, start slow, like really go out and get, get to know the track. Don't worry about speed. Don't worry yeah. about it at all. Like the first track day I did when I got that BMW, you know, long after racing, I was unfamiliar with the track, and then I looked at Thunder Hill, and I looked at all the videos, and it was actually the other track. It was the short track. It was west, the two-mile mm-hmm. track. So I didn't know the track, but it was raining, right? So I learned all day on the track with it raining. So speeds are lo- slow. Yep. And uh, once it dried out, yeah, I was, I was ripping it. So it was good. Yeah, that's why I've talked to several people, and that's what they said. Just learn the track. Just get comfortable being on the track and going through the process of you know, going out with your session and going back, hydrating, all that stuff, and just getting through the mechanics of a track day. Yeah, and never, ever look behind you. Don't don't worry about those guys. That's their deal. Yeah. Yeah, so, mirrors are coming off, and uh, yeah, people, people Rico recommended I tape up the Speedo, too, which I'm also doing. I don't, I don't know why people do that, but I would just not be looking behind you because it doesn't matter what's going on back there. That's their deal. Very cool. Always a good time. Always a good time hanging out and chatting with Brian. We we enjoy that. I communicate with him on a fairly regular basis as I am looking to embark on my first track day. So we've talked about bike setup and gear and and sort of things to practice and things to things to do as I get ready to get ready to get myself on the track. So I mentioned the Loud Pipes Racing Initiative. We'll get to that in a moment. But first I would like to take a moment and recognize the people who continue to make this show possible. And we do that by thanking the Riders of Loud Pipes for their continued support. That would be our first five, Marcus, Rickard, Edward, Jebby, and Zion. Thank you, fellas. The Slack Pack would be Chuck, Nobby Tire, Old Man Slacker, Sir Mike, and the executive producer of Chaos and Mayhem. The Barbershop consists of Steven and Jacob. Loud Pipes Racing is Sean Birch. Then we have Steve, Micah, Kenny, Dangerous Dave, Bronco Ride, Rich, Joe, Tony, Jed's Moto, and Scott make up the riders group. 
Darren, the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, Kale and David are the insiders. We appreciate all the support, no matter the size. And if you would like to join this group and show your support for the show, we ask you to visit loudpipes.net forward slash donate and check out all we have in there to offer. All right, let's talk about Loud Pipes Racing. Gotta have the sound effect. So a couple of things we want to talk about. As we've, as we've discussed in prior episodes, we're big fans of the, the TT at the Isle of Man. And we're also big fans of racing in general, but me more specifically in terms of motorcycle racing over the last couple of years. We started the Last Pipes Racing Initiative a couple of months ago, and we talked about putting our money where our mouth is. So the whole idea is we raise support through the show, and by support I mean financially, and we in turn can provide that to riders or race teams so they can continue to operate. So that's the, the basic idea, use the show for promotion, raise support for riders, and keep them on the track. So we started that out with Mr. Honeycutt who we had on the show for this episode. And he is, of course, carrying Loud Pipes Racing on his bike. And we started talking about getting the Loud Pipes sticker on a TT sidecar team at the Isle of Man. So the conversation originally started about taking one of our new stickers, the little 3x5 sticker, on the bike for a, a small amount of money. And what has happened, essentially, is... Uh, ben McBride, who's the passenger on the two carts or on the sidecar team, I've been in contact with, and they had a much larger sponsorship opportunity, which I have signed up for. So it's a significant investment for Loud Pipes, especially since we don't sell anything. We just take direct donations for the show uh, that we appreciate greatly, and that helps all of our back-end production costs and, and things like that to keep the show going. So what we're hoping to do with the Loud Pipes Racing Initiative is to grow that even more. So I've started by funding this initiative out of pocket for this year. It's going to get us on the sidecar bike and the race suits and the helmets for 2019, which is fantastic. So hopefully that people will see that we're serious about putting our money where our mouth is and the support under the Loud Pipes Racing banner will continue to grow. So if you want in on that, there's two ways. So this is loudpipesracing.com. There's a link there for one-time donations. If you just want to add something to the Loud Pipes Racing initiative, you can do that there one time. If you want to support it in an ongoing manner, that would be done on our Patreon page. So there's a link for that. Again, loudpipesracing.com. There's a link there to Patreon. If you want to sign up monthly, the Loud Pipes Racing level starts at $10. So the first five, the first five dollars covers our basically our operating costs for uh, Slack and some other things that we use for the riders of Loud Pipes. The next five dollars and beyond then supports Loud Pipes Racing at a a near dollar for dollar translation. So the only administrative fees we're taking out of that is for things like shipping. Um, we're shipping some t-shirts and stickers over to uh, the race team, which we'll talk about in a second. Or if we have processing fees for, for moving money and things like that, you know, we can't do anything about that. But every other penny that we get in support is going directly to some racing effort for 2019 and beyond. So let's talk about the team. So we are sponsoring Greg Lambert Racing. They are located in the UK and they run side they run formula 1 and formula 2 sidecars which will be running at the Isle of Man for the TT in 2019 and plenty of other races uh throughout the season um so they run in and around the UK and some other areas um around the world for various sidecar events and i don't yet know the series names i'm not i'm not that in depth involved with all the series names and the tracks and things like that. But as we learn more, we'll certainly post more links um, either to the events or to results and things like that, pictures, uh, so people can see the bikes and the, and the team. 
So Greg Lambert is the driver, and Ben McBride, who I spoke about a few seconds ago, or a few minutes ago, um, is the passenger. So two people on a sidecar team, if you're not familiar with how this works in the racing format, is you have the, the driver or rider, if you will, um, who's the one piloting the bike, and then you have the passenger, or, or what some people call the monkey, who's on the back, adjusting themselves left and right and fore and aft on the bike to maintain better balance and, and speed. So Greg and, and Ben are the ones running the bikes that we are sponsoring for 2019. Greg is quite an accomplished um, sidecar racer, so they have finished in the, in the top 10 at the Isle of Man uh, numerous times. And like I said, as we, get more, as we get more into this, we'll have more stats, more detail, uh, more information, links, things like that. And we're even going to try to get Ben and or Greg on the line with us for a future show so we can talk to them directly, get some, get some direct information, and, and introduce everyone to the team we're sponsoring for this year. So a little bit more about the sponsorship. Um, like I said, this is a, a significant investment for us. You know, as a again, as a as a free podcast, this is this is quite a quite an investment, and this will actually have an effect on some of my personal plans for this year, which I'll talk about in a minute. But in return for our investment, we will get the Loud Pipes logo on the bike itself. And the nice thing about the sidecar bikes is they have a lot of surface area, so that's a great advertising platform. So it's about a 12 by 10 uh, size, roughly. So the logo will be on the bike, again, for all of 2019, not just for the TT. The logo is also on the team's race leathers, and I have a picture of that in the show notes. If anyone wants to see, Loud Pipes is going to be at the top uh, top right shoulder in a very nice prominent position. And we're also to be on the helmet, which I don't have a picture of yet. So that's very cool. So now just a little bit about the personal effort and this is probably probably the world's largest teaser if you will in that yeah i feel so strongly about supporting racers that like i said i've taken this out of my own pocket and this has slightly altered my plans for buying a new bike so it doesn't mean i'm not getting a new bike it just means the bike itself has changed and by ultimate teaser i'll say that i have a handshake agreement with a gentleman to purchase a motorcycle. I'm not going to say what it is at this point, but once the the deal is done, rest assured we will have we'll have quite an episode here on on loud pipes to talk about that. So so yes, the next bike is known. It's a known commodity at this point. And that's all I'll say for now because I am terrible at keeping secrets. <laughs> okay. So with that, I'm going to cover some events real quick and and close this one down for this evening uh, before I continue to talk and get myself in trouble. So events, April 6th will be the first track day for me. That's going to be part of the N2 track days program at the Carolina Motorsports Park in Kershaw, South Carolina. Uh, April 12th through the 14th, John will be headed off to MotoGP in Austin, Texas. We also have the congregation show that weekend in Charlotte. That's April 13th, 1 through 8 p.m. May 9th through the 29th is the fourth annual Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge. Again, if you plan on riding for Loud Pipes or any other podcast, sign up by April 17th, MotorcyclePodcastersChallenge.com. We also have the 2019 East Coast Meetup for Moto Amino slash Dragon Crew. That'll be June 1st in Salisbury, North Carolina. The Loud Pipes Meetup is now going to be during the Gettysburg Bike Week, July 11th through the 14th. Antique Motorcycles on Main in Chesney, South Carolina, July 27th through 29th. John has an upstate New York trip, August 9th through the 12th. And then for 2020, we have our visit to the Isle of Man for the TT. And John and possibly Rico to Sturgis, also in 2020. I would like to again thank the Riders of Loud Pipes for their continued support. And if you're interested in joining this group and supporting the show or any other initiative that we have, visit loudpipes.net forward slash donate. I'll remind everyone if you want to support Loud Pipes Racing, that is loudpipesracing.com, separate link there for one time um, or ongoing. Additional information for this episode, including links and some images, of course, of the race suit that Loud Pipes is going to be on, this can all be found on our website, 
loudpipes.net slash 154. Here we have links to leave us feedback, subscribe to the show, and of course, you can follow us on social media. All right, no Hogan, no Johnny John, but I will still put my kickstand up. Right on out of here. Hope everyone has a great week. And until next time, good night. Thank you for listening. Please consider supporting the show. We offer generous rewards for your contribution. Find more details at loudpipes.net forward slash donate.